Good afternoon, 7 Investors, and welcome to the Friday, the special 1230 edition of 7 Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks-Klein. I'm the host of the program, but I am very lucky. Uh, I'm spending my day with the 7 Investing team. Uh, Sam, if you want to change the graphic over. I've got Steve Symington. I've got Matt Cochran. I've got Max Chatsko. I have Simon Erickson. Dana Abramovitz is going to join us. Hey, if Honorbon wakes up, uh, he could join us as well. That's not that likely. It's very, very late there. <laughs> So just to give some of you who are, are just tuning in a little idea of what our day is, on the third Friday of every month at 10 a.m., we do a call just for new members. This is to orient them to the service, to get them comfortable with the idea of buying stocks, to talk about our philosophies. Then from 11 to 12.30, we do a call with our members. We had our highest turnout ever. What we do during that is we take questions about our picks, about our recommendations, about what's going on in the market. It was a really exciting call. Today on 7 Investing Now, we're going to look at some of the big stories of the past week. We're going to talk about the rough week for stocks, the crypto ca- uh, crash, the uh, Discovery and Warner Media mashup, target results. We're also going to take your questions. But before we do that, I'm going to go around the room. I've got a bit of a little bit of a silly start to the show. Uh, I want to know what's your guilty pleasure, food or beverage? For me, it's definitely cold brew coffee with salted cream, cold foam. Uh, I would drink five of them a day. If it was good for me, it is not, so I don't. Steve Simonton, you can go first. Oh, biscuits and gravy, hands down. Like I, I judge breakfast restaurants like by their biscuits and gravy, and if that's acceptable, I feel like the rest is. But I will order that without shame or hesitation anytime I sit down at the table and has it. Steve, you got to come visit. There is an amazing biscuit place in Celebration, Ooh. Florida, about uh, 10 minutes from the home that I'm actively buying during this show. I've literally been docu-signing. For those of you who are docu-sign fans, I have been docu-signing all day because uh, we're closing on a condo. Matt Cochran, what is your guilty food or beverage pleasure? Oh, it's not even close. Domino's pizza. Oh, come on. <laughs> I've, sat with Domino's you pizza. Had, I've sat with you and had better pizza than Domino's. Like, yeah, you, well, that's not guilty, though. <laughs> Max Chatsko, uh, you're in Pittsburgh. There are some delicacies there. What do you have as a guilty pleasure? Sour Patch Kids. Hard to argue with Sour Patch Kids, a favorite candy of mine as well, though there is an exact point where you've had too many Sour Patch Kids. Simon Erickson, your thoughts here. Oh, Blue Bell milk chocolate ice cream, Dan. I would have that all the time. I saw Daniel Delgado checking in from Sugarland, Texas. He knows what I'm talking about here in Texas. Best ice cream there is out there, in my opinion. And Daniel also chimes in, beer and wings. Hard to argue with beer and wings. When I was a freshman in college, uh, I took a class with Professor Doug Brinkley. Uh, He's NBC's uh, White House historian. He is a a fair, I believe he taught at Rice for a while, where Simon went. A very famous professor. And I was the only freshman in the class. And we met on Friday at an all-you-can-drink beer, all-you-can-eat wings place. I don't think you could do that anymore. And he took me aside. He just said, you're a freshman. Don't be stupid. So, you know, I I would sip a beer and eat a bunch of wings. I don't think that's allowed at college anymore. We would love your questions and comments, but we're going to get right to it. I'm going to let Simon kick this off first. It was a rough week for stocks, but Simon, that could be scary to see. But as long-term investors, it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, Dan, actually, we, we we took advantage of the volatility in the market, right? On our subscriber call, we just said, we actually, we were talking about several of the companies we bought into because we see this as an opportunity. Uh, if you're going from point A to B over a five-year time horizon, uh, does it really matter to you how the squiggles look in between or does it matter where you end up? And so we, as long-term investors, I, I almost feel like sell-offs are an opportunity 
and they're your friend because you're getting to buy your favorite companies at more attractive entry points. Um, so as long as you're a long-term investor, don't worry about the volatility. Uh, look at look at the long-term and see how these companies are actually performing. And Max Chatsko, we saw a lot of growth stocks really take it on the chin. And a lot of them, it's this idea that the pandemic is over, so now we should only invest in travel stocks. And I've seen a lot of money go into some really dumb places. Like the airlines are trading for more in general than they were pre-pandemic. And I don't like airlines any more than I did previously. But Max, do you think there's a little bit of an overreaction to the so-called end of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about this before, but you know, I think the pandemic accelerated the digital transformation of a lot of different industries. You know, that doesn't go away because people can go outside and uh, eat beer and wings uh, when they're uh, freshmen in college. You know, um, so a lot of those trends are here to stay, and and that growth is real. That's not going anywhere. The the, the premiums we pay for that growth might decline a little bit, but three five years out, that's not going to matter. That class, by the way, was the music of Vietnam. I actually think we went to see some of the members of the band perform as a, as a homework assignment. I had a, I had a pretty cool college experience, as you might imagine. Uh, Matt Cochran, do you want to weigh in on this one? It's, it's obviously probably been the week I've gotten the most messages about what about this stock? Are we worried? And I know I see it as a purchase opportunity. How is your week gone when it comes to the stock market? Well, I mean, look, it, it, it's a it's a weird time, right? No doubt. I mean, we're coming through in like an almost unprecedented uh, pandemic. Uh, the economy is kind of reopening, but it's not like there's a, an official like bell to ring to have it fully reopen. So there's a lot of like fits and starts to it. It's like three steps forward, two steps back as far as that goes. Uh, during the pandemic, a lot of stocks fell uh way too much a lot of stocks probably ran up a little too much so you got all this going on it's going to probably take a while to 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 figure for the market to really figure it out so you're going to see volatility i mean that's normal though uh this happens all the time as everyone's pointed out and uh you know look the trick is to keep the keep your eyes on the the big picture the longer term and uh that's what we do here the seven investing philosophy is to buy good companies and hold them forever. And when we say forever, we mean a long time until your life event, until your thesis changes. People ask us all the time, will we tell you when to sell? And here's the reality. If something fundamentally changes about a stock, so you know, let's pretend we own, uh, you know, the, we own McDonald's. And McDonald's comes out and says, um, we're going to go all plant-based. We're going to get rid of all of our meat. And we might go, ooh. That is a fundamental change to our thesis. We, we, we don't uh, necessarily recommend McDonald's. I'm just picking a random company out there. That's when we'll tell you to sell. If something fundamentally changes, maybe the, the CEO switches positions and the new CEO has radically different ideas and we don't agree with them. Even then, we might let it play out a quarter or two because that's one we've been wrong on in the past. But uh, topic number two here is we're going to talk the crypto crash. And that sounds more daunting than it is. But uh, Steve Simonton, I'll throw it to you. What happened this week in crypto? And uh, give us some insight as to why. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what happened this week in crypto is something we could dedicate a couple of podcasts to. And actually, we, we Simon and I did. We spent some time talking with, uh, with the folks at CryptoEQ, our, our partners, CryptoEQ.io, uh, about that. Um, but man, um, We've seen some extraordinary volatility uh, in cryptocurrencies in general and uh, crashes and rebounds. I think at one point, Bitcoin was down more than 30% in a single day earlier this week and uh, and everybody's panicking. And then uh, Elon Musk tweets that Tesla has diamond hands with the, with <laughs> the emojis, <laughs> basically indicating, nope, we haven't sold uh, despite uh, 
everybody's kind of assertions otherwise. So uh, I think even now uh, you look at the price of Bitcoin and it, it went from where was it? Where did it peak, Simon? Was it 52,000, 60,000? I think it was over 60 for a second. Yeah, it was over 60 for a little bit. And uh, I think now it's at like 37,000. And uh, but it's 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 wildly volatile. And uh, that's sort of uh, punching some holes in people's assertions that this is a stable coin of value, you know, sort of sort of measure uh, of value. And, and people are kind of figuring out which altcoins they want to invest in your Dogecoin and and little things like that. Um, but uh, wow, uh, what a week. Crazy volatility. Uh, there's also speculation that you might have sort of a pullback uh, in crypto that might coincide with sort of building a base and rebounding in growth stocks as some of that money funnels out and people think maybe the crypto trade is over. Uh, uh, but man, uh, this volatility is pretty nuts and uh, it's it's not terribly unexpected, but uh, it, it's creating a lot of stress and uh and and uh, I, I think it was kind of necessary. Anyway, I'll, go ahead. I'll throw to Simon in a second here, but I just want to point out two things. Uh, first of all, our partners at Crypto EQ saw this coming. They hit this number uh, pretty directly on the head. And if you're a member, you have access to Simon and Steve doing a monthly podcast on crypto. We don't make crypto picks, but we certainly do provide some information. And I don't remember what my second point was going to be. So Simon Erickson, your thoughts on crypto and volatility. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. You know, I think that the first thing we have to keep in mind here is who's the investor base in cryptocurrencies right now? It's it's individuals. It's retail investors. We do not have a very established institutional base of people who are buying Bitcoin. We've seen Elon put $1.5 billion on Tesla's balance sheet. We've seen other corporate corporations uh, think about putting on their treasuries. But for the most part, it's people like us who are buying into cryptocurrencies all over the world. And of course, when that happens, you get these wild volatile swings. You're not going to see as much of a volatility swing if you start seeing companies take billion-dollar stakes all at once and sit on it in their, and park it in their balance sheet. But the thing that we have to keep in mind right now, and again, I'm not the cryptocurrency expert. That's why we hire uh, Crypto EQ to chat with us about these podcasts. But I think that the real important thing is that this is an unregulated market right now. You've got Elon Musk out there saying that uh, Dogecoin, he's going to speak with their developers, and Dogecoin's price goes up 40%. And then he goes on SNL and he says, Dogecoin might be a hustle and Dogecoin drops 40%. This is extreme volatility in a way that's completely unregulated. When Elon said he was going to take Tesla private for $420 a share, that cost him the chairmanship of Tesla. SEC brought the hammer down, said you can't do that. Cryptocurrencies are still kind of the wild west. We can see these vast fluctuations just on popular opinion because the investors in this are individuals. And so I think, Dan... What we're going to see with crypto, there's a lot of interest from institutions. You know, you might be able to buy this in retirement funds in the near future, as crazy as that sounds. But to get to that, there's going to have to be a lot more regulations and a lot more stability. And that's going to mean less volatility for the price like we're seeing right now. I remembered my second point, and it's tune out Elon Musk. Elon <laughs> Musk is trolling you or manipulating the market. We don't know what he's doing. He might just be having fun with how much power he has. I think if I had that much Twitter power, it would be tempting as well. Um, but I, would, I don't put a lot of stock in what he's saying. I also think if Elon Musk says he's holding, that might mean he's selling. Like You need to be really, really careful. Max Chasco, you wanted to add in a little bit on crypto here. Yeah, I think we're giving a little too much credit to Elon Musk. Uh, in the last week, a lot of the volatility in Bitcoin has been from, or all the crypto markets, uh, has been from regulatory decisions from China. You know, they made some restrictions on what financial institutions can do with crypto. Uh, just today, they've, they said they are interested in 
limiting, you know, your ability to mine some of these tokens. Uh, so that's had a, a, an effect too, and maybe a larger effect than anything Elon Musk is tweeting. Another thing to keep in mind, like Simon was saying, you know, with the institutional ownership, it's just not there. We're kind of building that base. I think that's made some really big strides in, in the last year for sure, uh, but it's still early and, and the technology is still very early as well. You know, look at like the Ethereum network, right? It's still proof of work, just like Bitcoin, which means mining, but they're eventually moving and transitioning to proof of stake. So you'll be able to stake tokens into pools and you'll earn income based on, you know, the amount you stake. So that looks more like an income stream, more like a dividend stock. Uh, and you, you know, you make the whole network work more efficiently. I mean, that's kind of more of the idea of the technology with blockchain uh, and enabling all of these things with like open decentralized system. Uh, so it's, we're still not even there yet with uh, Ether, which is the token for Ethereum. Um, there's other ones as well. So, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have any plans to move to that. Um, so this, this is still going to be volatile and, and the technology is still evolving and maturing. We're going to take a question from Alfredo Reyes uh, soon about crypto. But before we do that, I want to welcome Dana Abramovitz to the program. Dana, I know it has been a busy, busy day, but we opened the show by talking about our guilty pleasure food or beverage. I'm not going to hit you with it right now. I'll hit it after the promo. But why don't you think about it? Uh, I answered cold brew coffee because I, I am a coffee addict. Um, we had lots of great answers there. So I'm going to come back to you soon, but I just wanted to welcome you in. Simon, before we take Alfredo's question, uh, you had something you wanted to say, a little bit of a congratulations there. Well, yeah, I really love this comment that Alfredo put up that says that we've inspired him to work for, towards his uh, certified financial planner degree. That, that, is, that is fantastic, Alfredo. Go get him, man. That, that's, I, I love, please, everyone let us know when we're empowering you out. This is exactly what makes our job so rewarding is to see people that say, hey, I want to be even more involved as an investor. Hey, I want to go out there and get you know, my certification for CFP or something like that. Uh, way to go, Alfredo. I'm very proud of you and very excited for your future. Thank you for posting that. Alfredo also asked us, will crypto get regulated in 2021? Steve Simonton, you can take this. I have yeah, no idea. Um, I, I won't speculate too much on this. I, I'm not sure it's going to happen before the end of 2021. Uh, but I will say that in our uh, Crypto EQ podcast that we recorded and published recently to the 7investing site, if you're a member, you have access to that. We did talk at length about the potential for regulation in uh, cryptocurrency. So that was actually published on May 15th, so about a week ago. Uh, if you're a 7investing member, check it out. Uh, you can find it on our homepage or find the latest uh, Crypto EQ podcast. If you're not a member, you can check us out at uh, 7investing.com forward slash subscribe. You can join us. And uh, yeah, so, um, but we did talk quite a bit about regulation uh, in, in that podcast. We're going to talk about AT&T spinning off Warner Media and combining it with Discovery Plus. You already got my thoughts. Uh, I, I am not a big fan of this deal. I, to, to put it lightly, I thought Discovery had a wonderful $4.99 product in Discovery Plus, and I'm not sure what, what this addition does other than maybe free up some back office jobs. Matt Cochran, you did not get a chance to weigh in here, and I, I know streaming is a space you cover as well. How did you feel about this deal from a streaming media point of view? So I actually, I think I like the deal more than you. Uh, now, granted, a lot of that is just because AT&T was unwinding like a big mistake when it uh, acquired a Time Warner a few years ago. Um, look, and that was always problematic, I think. Um, like, you know, the problem with, with AT&T acquiring Time Warner is that like, I, I just felt like their core businesses were not strategically aligned. Uh, you know, AT&T competes for customers like it's a zero-sum game, right? Uh, like with Verizon or T-Mobile. If you're an AT&T mobile subscriber, you're not a Verizon mobile subscriber. 
But when they bought uh, Time Warner, you know, like the, the best idea for that content is to get it into as like as many hands as possible. Uh, and but would have been what would have been best for AT&T, though, would be to like make it exclusive to AT&T as a way to, to gain customers. And so like there's they're, the strategies just never I just never felt like they, they lined up with each other. Um, so I think it's good for AT&T um, that, you know, they can they got rid of some of their like, I mean, they had like close to $200 billion in debt. And I think they're sending uh, over $40 billion of that debt with, uh, you know, into the new entity. So it, it's, I think it's good for AT&T. Um, as far as Discovery and the, 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 new, uh, the new entity, I, I think it'll give them more, more bargaining power with, with, like, uh, with, with the, the, the cable networks or with the cable carriers. Um, you know, and we'll see. But I think, I think uh, like Disney has shown, like, like I, I think the, uh, what we're seeing here is like a consolidation of a lot of these entertainment and co- content companies. Um, and the more, the more content you have, I think the, the better your chances are of either making it as your own, uh, streaming bundle or, or with the cable companies. I'd argue it's a little bit like the long Island diner where the menu is just too extensive and you get there and you're like, I, you know, no, like I just want some pancakes. I don't need lobster thermidor. Like, uh, oh, you know. well, so I, but the more, so I, but, but look at it like with like the Disney bundle they're trying to sell, right. With like Disney plus and Hulu and ESPN plus. Um, like that's a lot of content and, uh, you know, to bundle it all together, if you can, like, if, if your wife likes uh diner dives and dives or one of those like home improvement shows that they have and you know, you like, uh, an HBO series or something like I, I can see like, uh, I can see like more households buying into that kind of bundle, but I don't know. We'll see, but I think it's good for AT&T. So, um, like, you know, I don't know how many, uh, I, I, I don't. I don't think I ever ran into too many Discovery shareholders uh, before this. So, but like I, a lot of people owned AT and T for the dividend, and I, I think it's good for AT and T. They can focus more on their their knitting now. You know, yeah, their, their and, core and, and we're just sweeping under the rug the twenty billion dollar mistake they made, not oh. counting the giant Directv mistake. Like now, they, oh, they made so many mistakes. Oh, no doubt. And, and so, like to me, unwinding those mistakes is is a good thing, though. So you know, I mean, better to uh, admit those mistakes and, and try to move on than uh like to keep doubling down so you know like yeah they, they made a lot of mistakes i think it was a mistake like i said for at&t to ever acquire time order just like it was a horrible deal uh they put them in like i mean these kind of companies already have so much debt because building out like uh like their their mobile networks and everything it's very capital intensive so at&t already had a lot of debt that just put them in more debt but unwinding these mistakes i think is better than holding on to them yeah, AT&T is not a business I like. I have to admit, I'm going to throw to Dana for her guilty food pleasure in a second. Uh, but one of my guilty pleasures is watching shows where someone runs a restaurant poorly and then either Gordon Ramsay or Robert Irvine shows up and yells at them for an hour. But the part of me that I was always amazed by it is they've never even like bought a book on like how to run a restaurant. Like Dana, you run a business. <laughs> I'm assuming there was some prep work. Like you went out and like looked at how like point of sale systems works or or you know how you pay rent or whatever it is. And there are these people in the restaurant business that I don't think Googled like how to price your food. Like it amazes me. Do you think of this as a business owner? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, all the time. Um, yeah, no. Uh, and, you know, but you say that, right? And so, you know, like I make mistakes all the time, right? And, you know, it's just a lot of times I have to fly by the seat of my pants. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, in a restaurant, 
you know, um, and, you know, the pandemic didn't help. So um, there's a lot of, of change. And so even, you know, like I have a business plan. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to stick to that business plan and you have to be able to kind of evolve, um, as you know, things go just because you have expectations and, um, sometimes they aren't met. I feel like the pandemic didn't help could be a t-shirt. Uh, Dana, <laughs> before we talk about target results and I'm going to let whoever wants to weigh in on that weigh in, Dana, what is your guilty food or beverage pleasure? I love ice cream. I do. I love ice cream. It, I, I, I can eat ice cream at any time. Like if I'm not even hungry, I can eat ice cream. The, the, uh, la the lack of good ice cream available here in Florida and being from New England is one of my complaints. We, we have all the ingredients for ice cream, yet we don't seem to put it together well. Dana, feel free to comment there. No, so, you know, I, I moved to Texas. Hey, um, I moved to Texas from California and, um, the ice cream there is just incredible. Um, and I just haven't found ice cream that I love here in Texas. So Bluebell, Dana, we got to send them some Bluebell. We'll ship some out to Florida if it doesn't melt by the time it reaches you, Dan. <laughs> For the record, avocado is not an ice cream flavor. I don't care what Tom Brady has to say. Uh, Target had a massive jump in same-store sales. They were up 27%. These are pretty similar to Walmart's numbers. Um, Matt, I'm going to ask you, are these pandemic driven or are these partly driven by all the work Target's done at building out their owned and operated brands and improving their stores over the past year? And I'm sorry to throw this to you, but I don't know who else might be able to comment here. Uh, no, no problem. Um, I, it's, it's both, right? Like I, I think we've seen like in the pandemic, all the companies that were that had been investing for the future were, were much better positioned than companies uh, that weren't. And I, you know, I think uh, Target's results are, are a result of that. They, you know, they're, their deals with uh, like to improve like delivery and, and uh, like all kinds of things like the investments they've made over the last year or two, like position them well for the pandemic. So I think it's like a, it's a good mixture of both. That uh, I tend to agree with you, but I think we're going to see something. And Steve, I want you to weigh in here because some of the tech companies are going to deal with this. You have a lot of stocks uh, that reported really good numbers and analysts, short-term analysts came out and said, hey, I don't think they're going to be able to equal these numbers. And maybe they're not. I mean, I don't think they're going to have 27% yeah. year over year growth. Is this a case where we really have to start pulling out like 2019 comparisons? No. Um, yes and no. I, I guess I wouldn't necessarily blame uh, maybe some of it was the analysts who were just kind of like, meh, like amazing results. And they're like, this is all right. Like it seemed like the whole, the market as a whole wanted a lot more in order to kind of merit any sort of, sort of pops. Uh, and we saw a lot of sort of underwhelming or even negative responses to otherwise perfectly great quarterly results. And, uh, part of that I, I think was also the, the broader pullback in, in high growth, uh, names. And uh, some of these these big high flyers that, that kind of outperformed last year and into sort of more cyclical names and economic reopening plays. And and uh, I I'm not really that concerned. You know, I, I stayed invested along the way. It's not like I tried to trade uh, the tops and you know sell the tops and bottoms uh, as we went, because that's so extraordinarily difficult to do consistently but uh i i just sort of take those those short-term analyst views and in short-term market views in general with a grain of salt so over the next year 
you're going to need to cover earnings with nuance. And that is not something your mass earnings places do. Like Reuters is not applying a lot of nuance to it. And I liken it to when I was in the family ladder and scaffolding business. And we might make a seven-figure sale to, uh, we would sell scaffolding that we didn't make and pass it on to the US government and they would do nuclear subcleanings. And at the end of it, the scaffolding got thrown away and we would only make like seven to 10% on it. But all we did with that sale is facilitate the delivery. We never touched the scat, we never actually handled the material. We just collected a check for being the middleman. And we would put that on our results with sort of an asterisk because it wasn't repeatable the next year. We might have five of those sales in one year and none the next. And I think you're going to have to really look carefully at all these results because we're also going to be lapping the cost of COVID-19 mitigation. There was a lot of expense. There was extra worker pay. Uh, we're also seeing a worker shortage. So salaries uh, and hourly rates are rising. There's going to be a lot of nuance and a lot you have to look at. And I've talked about this before. You're going to hear a lot about inflation and there will be some inflation. There's also going to be some supply chain driven price increases where, yep, we all want this. It's out. I mean, we saw it last summer with, with uh, pools. You know, the, the, the uh, above ground pools, you couldn't buy one. They were selling for eBay on eBay for thousands of dollars. You couldn't buy a hot tub. Uh, they were all over eBay for three to $500 for old used ones. Those went up to the thousands. You couldn't buy an RV. That's not inflation. That's a change in demand patterns. Uh, we are going to take your questions and your comments in the next segment. Uh, Sam, we're going to share some of the Twitter ones from the doc, uh, but First, Daniel Delgado says, try night food ice cream. The ice cream is really good. It's sleep technology ice cream. I have no idea if that's a true thing. I would love to have ice cream that put me to sleep. That sounds like a much better choice uh, for how to go to sleep at night. Uh, I'll have to look into that one, Max. Maybe I, that's one. I, I thought that was ice cream. Like Denver's got that, right? Like Colorado oh. in general or Oregon, you know. It, it, uh, is, is that what's involved in the ice cream? That would make a lot more sense. Those are, of course... Uh, legal cannabis states. But uh, Gross Margin asked us, and Sam, if you could share this, that would be great. Um, topic might be too broad, but given the recent turmoil in the growth segment of the stock market, I think it would be a good time to revise some basic growth stock valuation principles. I think a lot of your listeners would appreciate your guys taking that matter. Max, I'm going to throw to you first uh, and then let Simon weigh in. Yeah, I mean, we've I've talked about this. I have a different take, I think, on some of it, like the recent pullback or even with, you know, a company releases good earnings and the stock kind of just doesn't do anything, doesn't move. I think you have to realize a lot of expectations are already baked into a lot of valuations. So that what can we possibly learn for the rest of the year that's going to change the direction of that? Um, and, you know, valuations have been at a historic, like a very high premium in recent in the last year. Um, and I think as there's concerns with inflation or what the Federal pol Reserve policy is, um, that is going to eventually kind of start to make those the, the premiums we pay for valuation decline over time. Um, you know, I, I think it really is kind of that simple. Like the reason we had this great stock run up in the last year was 85 percent because of what the Federal Reserve did. And that's probably going to be true for the next 24 months. It really, I think, is that simple to me. Uh, Simon, I think we've obviously seen a lot of companies sort of jump five years ahead in valuation, and they're giving some of that back. Uh, what are your thoughts here? It's an interesting question because it's kind of a is, there's a short term nature of this, and then there's a long term angle to it as well, right? So everybody likes to talk about price to sales multiple as a preferred multiple for tech stocks. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I understand that it's common, but there's so many nuances to cloud computing companies and how they recognize revenue and all these other things whether they're doing it rateably, whether they're doing it upfront through a license. I mean, this 
there's a lot of uh, nuance to the numbers. So first of all, I think that there's kind of a, a recalibration in the market of tech stocks. Uh, you're not just you know selling something up front and recognizing the license. You're spreading it over a month to month uh, basis for a lot of these cloud cloud companies that have sold off lately. But but then on the other end, that's a short term consideration, Dan. I think that we're kind of re understanding how we should be valuing these companies. And to be fair, institutional investors are doing the same thing in their price targets. The second piece, and I'll be talking with Paul Teich uh, here very soon, uh, who's who's kind of an expert in semiconductors and, and kind of everything going on in the tech world. But I think that, and Ben Book just chatted with me too from GigaOM, there is a digital transformation underway that is in the second and third inning right now. It is very, very early in how companies are, are moving to the cloud and starting to adopt new technologies. And so for us to say that price to sales or price to billings or price to cash flows or whatever metric you want to use as a denominator is, is overvalued right now. And we need to recorrect our expectations, I think is missing the bigger picture of being only in the second and third inning when a lot of this hasn't even taken shape yet. I mean, if you grow revenues 10x in the next 10 years, is it okay to sell at a price to sales multiple of 40, 40 times today or a price to billings of 30 times today? I mean, things like this, we, we kind of take for granted that we haven't even gotten started on these trends. And so I really am more interested in, in, in things like, um, you know, cash conversion. How are they actually capturing cash flows out of these contracts that they're signing? Dollar-based retention rates. You know, how much are they growing at existing customers that they have? Uh, billings growth just at the top line. I mean, things like this. When we're talking about tech companies, I think it's worth the premiums that, that we've been paying, even if there's some short-term corrections. Because as a five-year-plus investor who's very interested in this space, I, I don't worry about if it moves around a little bit in the short term. I'm looking five, 10 years out, and there's still a plenty of opportunity in my mind. It is very hard to maintain a long-term mindset when you see things going down 20, 30, 40, or 50%. That is why we are here for you. Uh, I want to take a comment from Stock Investor. Not, not necessarily going to take it in the direction he wanted to go, but uh, he says, would you rather own waste management with a PE of 38 or Etsy with a PE of 47? So I actually think in a really strange way, these are really similar businesses. Waste management is literally a waste management company, and it's not something you're likely to change. So they have a pretty big moat against competition. Etsy has a very large base of creators and it would be very hard to disrupt that. So I think both of those companies, and I haven't dug into the financials on, on either one, but I think both of those from an attractive point of view are very, very hard to compete with. Matt, if we started uh, you know, Matsy tomorrow and it was, uh, you know, your goal was to build that base of creators, I don't think you'd be able to do it. I'm not sure there's enough people out there. If anyone else wants to weigh in, weigh their hand. I, I just I just felt the need to make a comparison to two companies, Waste Management and Etsy, that have never been compared before. Steve Symington, your thoughts here. <laughs> um, I, I would venture to say that for a company still relatively early in its growth stages that arguably enjoys more opportunities for operating leverage, uh, PE ratio might not be, you know, sort of, uh, we might be talking about apples and watermelons, right? Uh, when you're comparing the two. Uh, so I, I think there's maybe better ways to, to value that. But, uh, if you're saying, would you rather own waste management with the P38 or Etsy with P47? Uh, I'd say maybe look at some different valuation metrics, but Etsy at 47 makes a lot of more, a lot more sense to me. Um, when we're talking uh, well, about, potential, it, so. 
Yeah. And a lot of it depends on your investing goals, right? So like, right. I think these two kinds of companies might appeal to very different investors. If you're an older investor and you're looking for a very stable, mature business with income, like waste management is, could be a great way to go. Yeah. Like, I mean, like they have long-term contracts with municipalities to cover areas, uh, you know, a little, very little competition in a lot of areas. So th right. that's a great company if you're looking for income uh, or more stable business in your portfolio. And Etsy is probably a, a great company if you're looking for a growth, a growth stock, you know, yep. like, uh, like great growth numbers out of Etsy. Um, you know, they've really captured a, a niche uh, and a fantastic business, but it like could appeal to very different investors, depending on your goals, uh, you know, or if you're looking for a diversified portfolio, could easily fit into the same portfolio. But yeah, like, Steve, um, yeah, kind of depends on your goals. I totally agree, Matt. Is, are, Steve, isn't Etsy the one doing a lot of machine learning on the platform? They were looking at all the signals and kind of connecting the dots. Yeah, Etsy's Etsy's got some really interesting, um, interesting AI experimentation, and in, in they're they're kind of they're able to dig into a lot of the data they have uh, with with cloud and big data. So uh, I'm very intrigued to see how they kind of leverage that uh, in order to, to improve their business. But yeah, uh, Etsy's artificial intelligence efforts are, are kind of impressive. So, but yeah, great point, Matt, about different goals for different investors. I think last I checked waste management's got a, it's like a 1.7% dividend. Um, you know, so for income seeking investors who want a steady Eddie stock, uh, waste management's quite remarkable. Um, but yeah, Etsy's, Etsy's much more exciting for me, but that's because I'm, you know, an artificial intelligence specialist who likes small cap growth stocks <laughs> and I'm relatively young. So uh, that, that's how, how they and work. Waste management from my hometown, Fort Lauderdale, started with one garbage truck, Wayne Heizenga, back in that's the awesome. uh, 60s. So ah, good, good to see that Wayne Heizenga did, did something right. Uh, he was not a great <laughs> NFL owner. <laughs> that He owned the Dolphins for a while, and I, I don't think they ever won when he was the, was the owner. We're going to take a couple more questions. Uh, Matt, you can weigh in, a lifelong suffering Dolphins fan. Well, I would just say about Wayne Izenga, like he took three companies public and uh, like Waste Management, Blockbuster, and AutoNation. A great entrepreneur used the same uh, acquisitive uh, roll-up strategy, took a fragmented market, and uh, a great businessman. Maybe not a great football owner, though. Uh, yeah. And so you bring up Blockbuster. I wanted to talk about this. This is not related to the show, but did anyone notice that Redbox went public? Uh, th this to me is the dangers of how easy it is to go public through some of these alternative methods to an IPO. Redbox is the company where you go rent a DVD like in front of CVS. This seems to me like cashing out on a legacy business and, and basically duping investors. And I don't want to use that word because there's obviously an underlying business there as well. But this is a not a growth business and probably not where you should be infatuated. And I kind of wanted to mention that because during our members call, we had a lot of people asking about SPACs. And I think it's very important to not invest in a SPAC just because it's a SPAC. Like that, that, that I think is something we see happening quite a bit. We're going to take another question from our, our Twitter fans. I'm going to apologize first to Andrew Holder. Andrew, we're going to push your question to Monday. I only copied half of it into the doc. I don't think it works as well without the graphic illustration you provided. Uh, so we're only going to, we'll take it on Monday's show. But uh, uh, Lucid JPS. Competition between Mercado Libre and, and C Limited in Latin America. Will C become a serious threat? Um, boy, I have a hard time believing you're going to be able to unseat Mercado Libre. Simon Erickson, your thoughts here. I agree. 100% agree, Dan. These are regional monopolies for e-commerce. There's just too many regulations and too established of a user base. I mean, like this is kind of why you see Alibaba, you know, 
and, and JD.com, the kings of, of e-commerce in China. You see Amazon, the king of, of e-commerce in the United States. I mean, like, and then Mercado Libre down in, in South America, Latin America too. I mean, it's very difficult to displace uh, the leaders. It not only is the investment side of it, but then you've got regulations, you've got different cultures. You've just got so many, it's so challenging. And then you got to deal with the government too. And, you know, they've got different expectations of foreign companies. I would always bet on the domestic company for e-commerce. Uh, so I, I would think it'd be very difficult for C-Limited, in my personal opinion, uh, to displace Mercado Libre in South America. We are, we appreciate your questions. We appreciate your comments. There's more in there that we, we are probably not going to take. That's never because we don't love you. It's because at some point we have to stop the show and we are recording our, uh, about half of our pitches. That's when we pitch each other on what our stocks are for the next month. And these are 20, 30 minute with back and forth with questions, with people pushing back. We then on the eighth of the month, make those public for members. So you don't just get our write up as a member. You also get sort of all of our thinking and what everyone else's objection was. So if you're not a member, you should join us at seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. But for the home stretch, uh, I'm going to go around the room and I'll go first here. And it's what stock were you most wrong about? Uh, this haunts me. But for a long time, uh, not in the bankruptcy era, but pre-bankruptcy, I was very bullish JCPenney. When, when Marvin Ellison was running JCPenney and he was making all these great moves, I thought, like putting uh, appliances in when Se where Sears was leaving the market, we're adding home services, we're adding toys. What I didn't really look at is the execution was pretty bad and there wasn't a strategy to actually get people into stores. And if they did get them into stores, they did not see a great setup. So it did not work. But I was uh, startled. I didn't own it. I didn't recommend it, but I personally advocated for it and I was startlingly wrong on it. Steve Symington, what stock did you get the most wrong? Oh, man. Um, I, I, I feel like the jury could still be out on this, but I've owned Under Armour. Uh, for over a decade and they've had some they've just had a rough decade right and uh, it, it's sort of been one of those stocks that outperformed pretty hard uh, early on and then it just had misstep after misstep they just kind of resold some of the big mobile acquisitions they made you know they spent more than half a billion dollars on uh, acquiring mobile apps and stuff and and then less than savory sort of culture practices and uh and, uh, you know, so I, I, I'm a heck of a lot less bullish. I still own a few shares of Under Armour, but nowhere near where I did, uh, because I've kind of paired that back, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a potential for them to, to rival Nike, you know, over the long term still. But, uh, I feel like that's one of those stocks that I've kind of like pulled my hair out for several years now. I've owned several Under Armour shirts, uh, but no stock. Matt Cochran, <laughs> your thoughts here. Uh, where to begin? Uh, there's a lot, 3D printing and FINRA. But I'll talk about Kinder Morgan. It was a pipeline company. Uh, mm. You know, uh, uh, Kinder, the, the CEO, like promised like he was going to raise the dividend like by 10% over like several, like every year for several years. And, uh, you know, it already had a good dividend deal. This was back in like 2015. I, I bought into it. It was probably about $35. It went up to like about 45 like almost right away. I felt like a genius. And I sold it at about $18 a couple years later. Um, 
And like a, a lot of things like I did wrong, like one, I underestimated like how much of its business uh, was tied to the price of oil. Like uh, even though like I thought, well, it's a pipeline and it just gets paid by volume. Like if, if, if the oil companies can't pay the, the pipeline, if they're not making money, well, if your customers can't pay you, then you have a problem. Uh, you know, there was a lot of mistakes I made, like its balance sheet was a mess, like it did a corporate restructuring. Uh, so a, a lot of things, but uh, like Kinder Morgan. Max Chasco, I know you make very few mistakes. Uh, you know, you're a millennial. Millennials don't do much wrong. Which stock did you get wrong? <laughs> made plenty of mistakes. I know it's hard to believe because I'm so perfect. Um, I think one I've I've made a big mistake on was Fluidime. Of course, we all know Fluidime. So it's a uh, niche laboratory hardware company. And it makes things for single cell analysis. Very niche, but very important. And used an increasing amount of research. And what I didn't quite understand was how difficult the lab hardware business can be. It's very hard to scale, very hard to generate consistent recurring revenue and profits. So you have to sell the machines. That's a one-time piece of revenue generation. And then the idea is that you're going to generate revenue continuously from that machine because you're going to sell the scientists uh, what they need to operate the machine. So that's the recurring revenue that has to come in. Uh, but these these machines were just too niche and and it kind of got caught with different budget decisions and academia and companies. And now there's other things that maybe kind of do it better for cheaper. And it was just a big mess. So uh, I think I recommend, or I didn't recommend it, but uh, I was writing about it at the time uh, years ago at like $12 a share. Right now it's at like five, $6 a share, I think. So it didn't really work out. I didn't understand all the nuances of that business. Max, I feel like that's the first time, of course, we all know Fluidime is, have ever been spoken. Like those words <laughs> never uttered. Yeah, I was but, yeah. I was about to say, can can anyone on the team verify that that's not a company Max made up? Because I, <laughs> I I I have never heard of it. If he told me it was Fluidine and it was uh you know eating pods for people who have the flu, I would have believed that. So that is to point out that we don't get everything right. But here at Seven Investing, we are open about our mistakes. You can look at our scorecard and see where we get it. Now look, we are making picks based on the long term. So it's not that important where they sit at any moment. That being said, we provide our members with full transparency. Mike Fee, appreciate your comment on, on a, a C Limited. And yeah, counterfeiting is a problem for any service. It's actually been a pretty big problem on Amazon. Uh, it's one that they've fought, but maybe not fought as hard as they should. It's a problem around the world. I talked earlier about going to the Bahamas. Uh, and in the Bahamas, you can walk in and buy, a, you know, a Molex or a Pucci or, you know, any of your, you know, some Mikey sneakers, like whatever you want, and a lot of different stores. So I think counterfeiting is not unique to any one part of the world or any one platform. With that, it has been a long morning for us. It is time to hit our finisher. Sam Bailey, thank you for bringing it up. It's been a long morning for you too. Is Bitcoin a good investment? 38% uh, of you said yes. 33% no, 27.8% said, I don't understand it. That's where I fall as well. Simon Erickson, is Bitcoin a good investment? Well, this is a skewed poll because the actual answer, Dan, is C, I don't understand it. Even the experts in the field, you know, this is such a mystery of how it's going to be used and the economics and what it's worth. I mean, even when you talk to experts, you know, there are so many uncertainties about Bitcoin. I, I personally think, yes, I think there is something to this. I think there's a lot of headlines right now that are pointing out, oh, Bitcoin's price has fallen. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons to hate it. I, I think that there's a bigger picture for cryptocurrencies and their usage and their value and all of that. It's, it's worth paying attention to, and, and no doubt in my mind. 
just because something may go up or may go down doesn't mean you have to invest in it. There are, you know, look, I, I if I'm in Vegas, I will occasionally place a wager on on a you know a sporting event, but I'm not betting on every sporting event. You don't have to own every form of investment. Steve Simonson, I'll give you the last word on this because you are also part of our podcast uh, with Crypto EQ, which is available only to members. Right, maybe I'm skewed as well, uh, but I'm right there with Simon. I, I would say yes, but at the right price. You know, I, I, if I see Bitcoin rallying, you know, doubling in in a, a month, and it's trading above sixty thousand a coin, uh, maybe uh, I'm not stepping into it. But uh, when it's down closer to thirty, uh, I might do that. And and it's it's very volatile, and you have to expect that. But I think over the long term, um, you know, I, I think you're. Your uh, some of your your big Bitcoin bulls end up being kind of proven correct, and and I think it will prove to be a pretty decent investment over the long term. And I might chime in too, Dan, just with one final comment: is is keep an eye on the institutions here. You know, right. we always have been talking about Bitcoin in terms of just unleashing it for the public markets. Pay attention to if you start seeing this approved for funds, right? The Fidelity retirement funds, the Schwab retirement fund. If institutions who have got bil- tens of billions of dollars in each of those funds yeah. get approved to start putting Bitcoin in there as a replacement for cash as a store of value, then the answer is definitely yes. Yeah, uh, because then there's no then there's no floor on this that, that is going to be a lot higher than what it is today. We are not allowing Max to buy any Bitcoin because he will lose his credentials. My favorite Bitcoin story is the people who back when it was worth nothing, like use like 10 Bitcoins to buy a pizza. Like, and, and now that would be worth, you know, $300,000. Um, don't the do Saturday. That. Bitcoin pizza day is Saturday to mark that anniversary. I think it's been 11 years. Oh, you can follow it on two thousand Bitcoin, Matt. How many much was how much was paid for that pizza? It's like a thousand Bitcoin, I think. No, it was a lot. Oh, the, the, value, like a Bitcoin. Yeah. the value oh. of that pizza is now like five hundred million dollars. <laughs> oh dear. Do you dear remember God. the story about the, the kid asked his dad for ten dollars worth of Bitcoin and the, the, the dad goes, nine dollars and sixty-seven cents. What do you need ten dollars and fifty-two cents for? <laughs> it's like the volatility that's uh, fantastic the i saw a bitcoin atm today by the way uh when i was driving it was it uh, it was outside of a convenience store it's a bitcoin atm in missoula montana i'm like really so yeah uh, i i've seen a cupcake atm doesn't mean i'm going to invest in it that brings us to the end of the program here if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at info at seveninvesting.com. That's for emails about uh, your membership. Maybe you're thinking of joining. Maybe you want to know how something on the site works. Those go to Steve Symington usually, though any of us could answer. Uh, and if you want to interact with us on social media, we are at seven. That is the number seven investing uh, on Twitter. We are very active. Uh, we appreciate you getting in touch. Someone got in touch with me during the show to ask if our member call, which we just recorded, uh, was recorded. And yes, if you're a member, that will go up, Steve, what, Monday, Tuesday, somewhere around there? Usually Monday morning, yeah. Usually Monday morning. We are fast at it. We will be back Monday for everybody except Honorbond, who is sleeping. Uh, we appreciate you being on this call. We appreciate you joining us. We'll see you Monday. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.